0: This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. There are some advantages to implying anhydrous ammonia this time of year, rather than waiting till spring before planting corn. But there are some risks, too. Anhydrous shouldn't be applied in the fall until soil temperatures get below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. With the current turn in weather, we are likely to get below that now. The Kansas Mesonet Station in Parsons can be useful to find what the approximate soil temperatures are. Besides soil temperature, there is a sweet spot for soil moisture as well. Too wet and the injection points smear the soil, and the closing wheel doesn't fold up the soil so some of the gas escapes. Too dry and the soil is crumbly so the gas leaves through the cracks before finding enough moisture to dissolve into the water. We will likely soon have periods of the right soil moisture. The recent rains haven't even come close to filling the soil profile, so it's not too muddy like it often is this time of year. The advantages applying in the late fall is largely to save time this spring, but also because the spring rains often get in the way of the application window. Ideally, spring applied in hydras needs to be applied a couple of weeks before planting corn due to the risk of the ammonia killing the seed at the site of application. At times, trying to find that dry spell in the spring to plant corn is hard enough. Anhydrous ammonia relaxes fairly quickly, but not instantly, with soil water to convert it into ammonium, and then the ammonium is retained on the soil cationic exchange capacity. The goal in applying in the cold soil is to keep the ammonium where it will stick onto the clay surfaces, and stay fairly immobile until spring. The risk of applying anhydrous in the late fall is losing it to denitrification before the corn gets planted. The change from ammonia to nitrate is dependent upon soil pH, moisture and temperature, basically anything that affects the soil microbes. In the spring, if the rain delays the corn from getting planted when the soil warms up, then denitrification would increase nitrogen losses. It is difficult to calculate how much denitrification has taken place and is often uneven throughout a field. However, it could mean the need for a top dress nitrogen application on young corn. It might also be a good idea not to put all the eggs into the fall anhydrous basket and still just plan for a split application of some nitrogen fertilizer in the spring anyways. The ammonia itself has some microbial limiting effects because it is caustic, but also the nitrification inhibitors such as InServe or Sertrino can keep ammonia from converting into nitrates. Some publications say we are too far south in this part of Kansas and Missouri to risk fall and anhydrous but there aren't any specific guidelines. Here in Southeast, we are commonly pressed for time in the spring to get corn planted in our heavy clay soils that often take a long time to dry out after a rain. However, those same wet soils delay planting and can increase the risk for denitrification. The long range climate outlook is giving a probability that the next few months should be drier than usual, but we might actually get back to a somewhat normal rainfall by spring. If you have any questions over soil fertility, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Cooper with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District.
1: Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. Tall fescue is a cool season perennial grass adapted to the soils and climate of the eastern third of Kansas. Fescue can persist under limited fertility conditions and really flourishes with management, useful as forage as well as erosion management along waterways and pond dams. Fescue will grow when the average temperatures are as low as 34 degrees Fahrenheit, but it thrives when temps are above 45 degrees. Summer growth is hindered by hot conditions and low moisture little growth occurring above 85 degrees. Grazing should be avoided during late June, July, and August to prevent grass damage and low animal performance. Pasture should be rested during summer months and allow the plants to increase vigor. Animals readily graze fescue during April, May, and June, and again in the fall. Tall fescue is the best adapted cool-season perennial grass in southeast Kansas for winter use. Thus, it can provide most of the spring, fall, and winter feed for a cow herd. Fescue should be used in conjunction with warm season forage crops like native grasses, Bermuda grass, or warm season annuals to provide summer forage. For the fall 2022 grazing season, I've received lots of calls about the persistence of stands through the severe drought conditions. Fescue generally breaks dormancy when temperatures are consistently below 85 degrees and moisture is received. For some areas of the Wildcat Extension District, enough moisture has been welcomed and the temperatures have favored fescue growth. To find out if fescue is dormant or didn't survive the drought, check your typical stands. If plants are crispy and the roots come out of the soil with little tugging, chances are the plants did not survive. There's likely still a seedbed present that may emerge late or next season. If you're in this situation, consider using a cool season annual forage crop, like oats, to get through the next few months. Re-establishing a fescue stand will need to wait until fall of 23 in our area. In fescue stands that are greening up, keep the grazing pressure off until the leaves are a minimum of 4 inches tall. 6 inches is better. These leaves are the solar panels that will build the root system and grow thrifty plants. The plants will become more winter hardy with sturdy root systems. I've seen fescue coming through in pastures that received very light spring grazing pressure and no summer harvest of hay or grazing. But in pastures that were sacrificed due to lack of available feedstuffs, the picture is a lot gloomier. While tall fescue is not a silver bullet to any grazing system, it can decrease the days of feeding hay. To incorporate fescue on your operation, I'd be happy to work with you. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's Davin Scrons, natural resource and diversified ag agent with her report.
2: This is a David Swans, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Levitt, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. If you spend time around ponds and creeks, you may have seen signs indicating that beavers have been busily working building their dams dens, and food catches. Other signs that beaver have been at work in the area include freshly cut trees, peeled branches, and the odor of a beaver's scent mound. At one time, beavers were the most sought after natural resource in North America, being highly sought after in the 17 and 1800s for their dense fur. Through conservation efforts over the years, The beaver population has recovered and is to the point of overabundance in some areas. Today, beaver can be found on Kansas streams that have a water supply year-round. Beavers are the largest rodent in North America, commonly weighing between 40 and 60 pounds, and are easily identified by their flat, leathery tail and large, webbed Hind feet features that make them the rodent that is most fitted for life in the water with feet that are suited for swimming and ears and nose that close when they are underwater while the beavers dense fur ranging in color from tan to chocolate brown made them once the most sought-after rodent in North America it also traps air, which keeps the water off their skin and provides insulation from the frigid cold water during the winter. In Kansas, beavers most commonly build their dens where there are steep banks, building a den into the side of a riverbank or pond dam. Beavers are herbivores and consume a diet consisting of different plants, grasses, forbs, and on occasion, Agricultural crops. However, their preference for tree bark is what they are most associated with, both positively and negatively. Beavers will use a variety of trees, but in Kansas, immature willows and cottonwoods are what they prefer. Commonly associated with felling trees, this allows beavers to eat the more nutritious branches in the canopy of trees. In addition to access to more nutritious food, felling trees also provide beaver with material to build their dam and food catch. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Adavin Strauss with your K-State Research and Extension
3: report.
0: Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Hillmore, bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Continuing our series from last week, this week we will talk about the American persimmon. Persimmons come from the genus Diospyros, and there are two common species. The Japanese persimmon is grown commercially, while the American persimmon is native to the southeastern United States and is found out in the wild. The trees are commonly found in mixed species forests and along waterways. Most plantings are for wildlife. The fruits of the tree are consumed by birds, raccoons, possums, deer, and skunks. For this reason, many can be found in conservation areas in southeastern Kansas and southwestern Missouri. Just like with walnuts, the fruit is the star of the show here. The small fruit stays about the size of a golf ball and ripens in October and November. Getting ripe fruit off of the tree is incredibly important. Consuming too many unripe persimmons can lead to an indigestible mass in your stomach called a phytobezoar. However, it is very unlikely that you will consume enough unripe persimmons to create the mass in your stomach, as unripe persimmons are unpalatably astringent. Eating one unripe persimmon can be enough to turn you away from persimmons forever, sometimes described as licking felt. As with most other astringent fruits, the persimmon will sweeten considerably and lose a lot of its characteristic astringency with one or two frosts, so wait to go out and harvest them until late October or early November. Ripe persimmons have a taste most similar to orange marmalade and are incredibly popular in baked goods. Determining when a persimmon is ripe is incredibly tricky, as not all persimmons on a tree will ripen at the same time. There are three characteristics that will give your persimmons the best chance of being ripe. The first is the most obvious. Ripe persimmons will have wrinkled skins. Any persimmon that has smooth skin is not ripe enough and will be incredibly astringent. Ripened persimmons will also have a bluish-black cast to their skin, also known as a blush. Lastly, ripe persimmons will always separate from their calyx, or the leafy part of the berry where the fruit attaches to the branch. If this does not come right off when trying to remove the fruit from the tree, that particular fruit is not ready yet. Because persimmons are common deer food and ripen during hunting season, Always practice foraging safety when going to collect persimmons on public land. Avoid lands where hunting is allowed if possible, and if you're still determined to forage on lands where hunting is allowed, wear orange and forage in the morning when hunters are least likely to be present. Check the rules and regulations of the land you're foraging on before visiting to know what you might run into and confirm that foraging is allowed or if persimmons should instead be left for the wildlife. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KDGF 690 Radio.